Hey friends, Lainey here, host of the True Crime Fan Club podcast. I just want to say thank you so much for working with me as I'm recovering from yet another illness. Thanks to my one-year-old who apparently is just a vestibule for germs. So while we're working behind the scenes to get some content ready for you in the next few episodes, I'm going to release this True Crime Convos I held a few weeks ago with my really good friend, Eric Carter-Landeen, host of the True Consequences podcast. Now, I will say that before you listen to this episode, it's important you know that we do talk about child abuse, child sexual abuse, and domestic violence. So if those topics are particularly triggering for you, I would recommend skipping this episode. However, if you do listen, I highly recommend the True Consequences podcast and following Eric on all of his social media because he truly is an advocate for ethical true crime. It's a thing, I promise. So while we're waiting for the next regularly scheduled episode, here's my conversation with Eric Carter-Landine, where we get to talk about how he's searching for justice for Jacob. Going to officially welcome everybody to True Crime Convos. It is our Tuesday night content on Spotify Live. I'm your host. Lainey. I am the host of the True Crime Fan Club podcast, the It's Haunted What Now podcast, and the Spotify original from Parcast called Crimes of Passion, where true crime meets true love. And I'm just very excited to have everybody here. I am so excited. As everybody knows, last week I mentioned that my wonderful, beautiful, amazing friend, Eric, was going to be joining us to talk about um why he is so passionate about victim advocacy because um, I think he has a tremendous story to share with everyone. Now, before we clear the road for Eric to start, make sure you guys give us your ASL in the chat. As you know, we start every show with our ASL. So I'm Lainey34, cis female, she, her pronouns from Texas. And then, of course, let us know in the chat. Eric, feel free to come on, give us your ASL, and then give us an introduction into yourself for those who may not know you. Well, thank you so much, Lainey. So I appreciate much. it. Uh, my name is Eric carter Landine. I am 41. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It hurts. I'll be there soon. Uh, don't worry. This male from New Mexico. Okay. Give us an introduction into who you are. And talk a little bit about your podcast, and then we'll get into um, what you're here to talk about. Awesome. So my podcast is called True Consequences, and uh, I started this show close to three years ago, somewhat as a love letter to my baby brother who was murdered uh, 35 years ago, and also a love letter to my community. I really wanted to provide a space where people in New Mexico who are fighting for justice can advocate for their loved ones and do that in their, uh, you know, on their terms and in their words. So the show was kind of built out of love for my brother and love for my community and wanting to make a difference. I've got, I was doing seasons, so I've got about five seasons up there right now, close to a hundred episodes. And now I'm just going to be releasing every week but yeah that's my little story i don't know if i missed anything i don't think you did um i think that it's amazing i mean you 
like you said, you just kind of recently started the show, even though it was a few years back. I mean, that's still pretty new. And the fact that you are still going with your show and even going to a weekly format, which bless you. Um, because yeah, that was something that scared me as a, a lonely podcaster back in the day was doing weekly, um, <laughs> weekly shows and content and everything like that. Um, but I wanted to, you mentioned earlier, I think I want to harken back to when we were at a, uh, festival this year in Las Vegas, um, where I was introducing you to my friend and I generally don't like my worlds to blend like my personal friends and then my podcast friends, because sometimes like my personal friends don't really get the podcast world, right? Like our camaraderie and just kind of how we engage with each other and the things that we talk about um, are pretty heavy topics. I mean, we, it's true crime. So we pretty much always are talking about a case or developments in some case, or even our own experiences. But I asked you how you like to be kind of introduced, you know, because I think you have a really important story to share. Um, and I think it's, I think that given the amount of, of vitriol that can kind of come towards victims of crimes, right? If you're not the perfect victim, if you will, um, you've handled a lot of kind of the shit people have thrown at you um, really gracefully and hilariously. Um, and so, yeah, how, how did you respond to me when I asked you that? Um, I don't remember. I think I said, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. Like you can talk about whatever you want. You can talk about Jacob if you want. Yeah. Podcast. Yes. You were just very like, do whatever, say whatever. And you were totally fine. Um, but it's, it's different for me because I, I'm a victim of crime in a different way than, than you are. Right. So I don't necessarily want to be known for like the thing that happened to me. And I think a lot of, I think maybe that's true for other people who, um, I don't really like saying victim of crime either. I kind of like saying a survivor of crime, you know, because you're still here. Yeah. Um, and you're kind of persevering through all of it. Um, kind of what's your philosophy on that too like uh, people knowing you for that like survivor versus victim yeah well i don't know i, I prefer survivor because it just sounds more cool <laughs> <laughs> but you're already cool yeah thanks but uh you know i i was a victim at, at the end of the day i was victimized so yeah it's the reality i hear you all right, so let's talk about Jacob because for a while you were pretty vocal about the case and everything like that and what was going on. And then it was kind of radio silence for a while, not on purpose. Um, you know, I think through your own means, it was truly just to make sure that there wasn't any conflicts or, I mean, you can go into that more than I can. Um, but I kind of want to go into, you know, Jacob's story and, everything involved in that so i really kind of want to hand the floor over to you and serena welcome it's true crime convo so we're here talking about true crime thank you Lainey. Right, uh so jacob's story it, it it's a really tragic story and i do want to you know offer an opportunity for people to know that this does involve the abuse of a baby and a child 
as well as domestic violence. So just put that out there to let everyone know that's what's coming. Um, so Jacob was born on July 1st, 1986. He was my first baby brother. Um, I had prayed for him to be born. I wanted a brother really bad. And he was kind of like my little miracle uh, sibling, I guess. <laughs> um, my parents were going through a really hard time and they decided to separate. Mostly because my father was traveling a lot for work and really didn't take the time to take care of my mom and I and we didn't have food and all these things. And so there was a lot happening behind the scenes. And my dad was having an emotional affair with a woman who was not my mom. And they decided to separate. So we left Texas and moved back to New Mexico. My dad stayed in Texas and it was my mom, Jacob and myself. And at the same time, my dad's best friend is kind of sniffing around. Um, he knew about everything that had happened. So he kind of swooped in when my mom was most vulnerable and started showering her with affection and attention and gifts and all of these things, um, which we now know is love bombing. Um, this, that's what I was just about to ask you if that, if that's what he was doing was, um, love bombing her. I don't think that I realized that it was your dad's best friend. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This person was well loved in the community, well respected in the community. Everybody who knew him, you know, said he was a great person. Um, and he knew what happened with my parents. So he kind of, like I said, started love bombing my mom and I, um, we obviously fell for it. We were starved for that attention and affection. And shortly after they started dating, Jacob started to have strange injuries on his body. He was about six or seven months old at this time. Um, and my mom's ex-boyfriend, who I'm not going to name in this at all, just because it could mess up the trial. Um, He's never been prosecuted or charged, so I won't be giving his name out. But he blamed me. And I was about five years old at the time, maybe six, and said that I was jealous of Jacob. Um, he said that I kicked Jacob in the head, which caused Jacob's skull to fracture. And so my mom was not really sure what was going on. She decided to get me out of that situation and sent me to be with my dad in California. Dad had moved at that point. And um, things kept happening to Jacob. Let me ask you a question here. So you're five years old when you're basically accused of, like, you know, egregiously harming your baby brother. And from a mom perspective, I also grew up in a home with domestic violence and stuff like that. So I know, you know, the the nuances that go with that. Not from a mom perspective. Sorry. From being that young, did you have like really any inclination of what was going on or did you just figure like, Oh, mom's sending me away to go with dad. Um, or did you think like you were actually in trouble by being sent away? So I was aware of Jacob being hurt and I was aware of being blamed for it. And, um, when I was blamed, 
you know, my grandmother was sitting there and my mom's ex-boyfriend was telling her what I had, what he said I had done. And, you know, he looked at me and he said, now tell the truth. Don't lie. Don't you dare lie. You know what happens to little kids who lie. So I, you know, was like, I don't know what happened. I don't remember hitting Jacob. And so I was very confused. I, I felt like I was in trouble. I did feel like that. Um, but I was very confused. I didn't understand what was happening and why I was being blamed for this. You know, I, I think I probably had some jealousy as a child who's getting used to having an infant in the home. You know, I probably did have some jealousy. I don't remember ever physically hurting Jacob. I was very young, but I also don't think I would have had the strength or the force to be able to fracture Jacob's skull um, at that age. Because, because Jacob, Jacob was half my size. size. Yeah. I don't think that um, it, it's just unreasonable to me to, to see that. Um, Kristen, let me know if you want to ask a question. If you guys have any questions in the interim, feel free. This is an engagement, you know, an en- meant to be an engaged discussion. So if you have questions for Eric, you're welcome to leave those in the chat that we can read. Um, or you're welcome to tap on for the speaker request. So I'm going to go ahead and add Kristen, see if she has any um, questions for us. You're automatically on mute when you join Kristen. So you may just need to unmute yourself if you have a question for Eric. Um, if you can't see the mute button, you may just need to refresh your screen and then you should see it. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Good. Oh, I wanted to ask Eric, you, you were, you said you were, uh, you said you were five? Yes, that's correct. And, um, I mean, when the police officers were asking you, when they were asking you questions about what happened, they, 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 did they know that you didn't? I mean, I, what, what, let me ask you a question if I'm allowed to ask this. What, after the kick to the head, what happened to the child? Okay, so like I said, I'm not certain that I did kick Jacob in the head. Um, that was just what my mom's boyfriend was saying at the time. Uh, so what happened was I was sent to California to live with my dad because my mom was not really sure what was actually happening. And kind of, oh, go ahead. And I, does he, and did your uh, mother's, this is your mother's boyfriend? Uh, ex-boyfriend now, yeah. Did did he have a um, a record that at the time did he have a police record? No, and and I'm actually going to go into some of that a little bit later too. Did he ever? I mean, did did he have a police record of uh, of harming children in the past? Like I said, he had no record, no no prior history, and no record to date to this date. Did he, did, do you remember if he threatened you, the boyfriend? Did he threaten you? Did, you know, like, you know, if you don't say this, uh, you'll never see your family again. Something like that. Yeah, um, that that's going to actually come up in a little bit, too. But yes. All right. Can everybody hear me or no? OK, yeah. Now. sorry. I don't know what's going on. Um, had some mic issues there. Sorry. So, yes. Um, continue with your story, please. Thank you for those questions, Kristen. Absolutely interesting um, so far. Um, and so I think at this point, we'll just kind of hold questions to the end so Eric can get to it. Because I think a lot of what 
we're all kind of curious about is probably coming up um, over the course of, you know, what he's going to be sharing with us. And um, I just want to make sure to, and this is nothing on Kristen or anything like that. I just want to make sure that we're all aware um, that this is an impactful thing for Eric to discuss. It's not always an easy thing to relive kind of a terrible moment in your life. So um, if he's not comfortable answering a question or, you know, providing any information, he will, he's a very big um, advocate of, for himself and everything, but I love him incredibly a, a lot. Um, so I just want to make sure too, that everybody knows this is a very safe space for us. And so um, we just want to be cognizant that there may be questions Eric's not comfortable answering and he will let us know. But um, yes, I just wanted to throw that out there. I forgot to kind of give that disclaimer at the beginning. So apologies, Eric, um, you're a bad bitch. So I know you're going to handle your yourself, <laughs> but I like to just protect my friends, make sure everybody's good. Um, but continue. I'm so sorry. Oh, I love you, Lainey. Thank you so much for, for that. Yeah. So essentially what happened, like I said, I went to California and uh, the injuries to Jacob continued. Things kept happening. And so my mom now has become suspicious of her then boyfriend. Um, she didn't really have a lot to go on other than that gut feeling and the realization that the injuries continued. And so she really limited how much time Jacob was with him. She basically did not allow Jacob to be alone with him at all until one night. Um, my grandmother was watching Jacob and he had been fussy because he had brain surgery and he was healing and recovering from that. So he just wasn't feeling good. My grandmother wanted to go to church. And so she called my mom at work and said, Hey, I really want to go to church, but Jacob's fussy. What do I do? My mom said, Oh, well, I get off of work in an hour. Maybe you can leave him with my boyfriend. And, you know, what's the worst that could happen in an hour? And within about 45 minutes, um, an ambulance is driving by my mom's work. Um, she had tried to get off work. She had a really bad feeling that something was happening. Uh, her boss told her no. And so the ambulance drives by. And at the same time, her boyfriend runs into her work and he's panicking. And he said that Jacob's on the way to the hospital and that he wasn't breathing. Um, so this is in a small town in Socorro, New Mexico. The hospital is not very large. Um, they were not able to deal with the level of injuries and the level of trauma that Jacob had. So he had to be airlifted to Albuquerque, which is about 75 miles north of Socorro. Um, he was rushed into emergency brain surgery and he did not make it out of surgery alive. He passed away while they were operating on him. Um, oh my gosh. As a mom from like myself, that is so heart wrenching because you don't, I totally get kind of your mom's thought process on that. Right. Going like, what's the worst that could happen in an hour? Um, because you think like, I'll be home right after that. So there's nothing, you know, that's, that could possibly happen. And of course you don't think somebody's going to hurt a baby that's literally recovering from a surgery. So, um, it, it's mind boggling to me when these cases happen, you know, especially with children so young. Um, 
And I, I know that on occasion, your mom has gotten a lot of shit, you know, and you've kind of indirectly had to deal with it um, because you, you're protective of your mom, you know, and I'm the same way, dude. Like um, my mom's made a lot of mistakes as a parent. And she's not perfect. Even after she left the domestic violence situation she was in, she made a, a lot of mistakes. Um, but I totally can empathize with her because she was a, a, a vulnerable person and was in a really terrible mind frame after leaving that domestic violence situation. So, I mean, mothers already deal with like a bunch of like mom guilt, you know, like, yeah. like nothing, like nobody's business, like for things that they really shouldn't even have to worry about. Um, but you, you would think, right? Like you just try to think the best and think like, you're not going to do something to a kid who's literally, you know, just recovering from surgery and stuff like that. So what was your mom's reaction when he came in with this news? I have to imagine she, she had to have that, like, I fucking knew it moment. and you know? Yeah. Well, I don't think that she had that moment. She had a moment of just pure panic. Like I have to do something. I have to get to the hospital, whatever, you know, she, they drove to Albuquerque. It takes usually an hour. And the whole time her boyfriend is saying, um, I promise you, I didn't hurt him. I didn't do this. This didn't happen. Um, the police were there when they got to the hospital. My mom was obviously panicking and, freaking out because my brother had died and her boyfriend, all he could say was, this isn't going to look good for me. This isn't good for me. I can't believe this is happening to me. Not once did he ask how Jacob was. Wow. I remember that too. It still pisses me off to think that, especially like if you care about this woman, supposedly, right. You would be comforting her and being like, we're going to figure out what happened. You know, if he, if he, you know, didn't do what he said he didn't do, then you would think you would be comforting the person that, you know, you're, who's in this raw emotional state and has just lost her child. Um, what happened after that? Uh, so after that, um, I flew back to New Mexico with my dad. Um, we had Jacob's funeral. My mom had stopped talking to her boyfriend at the time. And I think it's important for people to know that she had known him her whole life. This isn't a stranger. This is a family friend. His sister married my mom's brother. His aunt is my godmother. His dad married my parents. And so there's all of these connections to that family. And so we've all known this person our whole lives. And we never dreamed that this person would be capable of doing what they did. So that's the first thing I wanted to just put out there. Yeah. Your lives are just intertwined, you know, and um, how did your dad react to him? Because I'm Mexican. And so even with my biological father and I like didn't see him for like half my life, you know, pretty much anytime he did see me, he would ask my brothers like how I was or if anybody had like messed with me because like, I guess there was still some of this, like I want to, I, I may not be there, but I want to make sure she's okay. Even though I don't believe that in my brain. Um, 
what was his reaction? Because I imagine I think about my brother in that situation with his best friend and there would be like fist swinging. You know, um, it was kind of anticlimactic. My dad got very sad and very quiet. And after the funeral, he said goodbye to me. He said he was going to take me to Disneyland and that he was going to see me on my birthday. And I didn't see my dad again until I was 18. Um, so he just kind of took off. And yeah. He couldn't but, deal with do it. you think that that was a, a parental pain or was that like, I mean, he was already kind of distant from your life, you know, before you went to go um, live with him. So do you think that this is kind of his nature of like, yeah, I'll see you later, kid, and bye-bye? Or was it, do you think it was maybe just too painful? I, I think it was a lot of guilt. Um, I think he had a lot of guilt about what happened. And then it got worse after that. Um, so, so like I was saying... Oh, go ahead. No, sorry. My, I accidentally went off mute. Go ahead. Okay. So, like I was saying, um, after Jacob's funeral, my mom wasn't really talking to her boyfriend at the time. And my grandfather actually was the one that kind of tipped me off that, that this person might have been involved. Because her boyfriend kept coming to my grandparents' house, which is where we were staying after Jacob died. And one day, my grandfather jumps up out of his chair and goes running into the front yard and tells him, why don't you hit somebody who can talk? And that's talk. what I was talking about. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So, so that was the moment for me where I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe there's more to this than what I knew. And so I started to kind of second guess him and he kept telling my mom that he wanted to meet her at J Jacob's grave. Like that was the only place that he would talk to her. Which I thought was really weird. That's fucking strange. Yeah. That gives me like Darlie Routier vibes. Like I want to get silly string kind of thing. Like I, that doesn't, I would not desecrate like my son's grave. But I'm also just very like when I'm, when somebody passes away, I'm very like overprotective of the memory, right? And just like preserving it. Um, but that's such a weird thing. Like what did your mom think about that? Well, she absolutely freaked out by it. You know, she, that's when she really started to feel like, Oh my God, something bad has happened here. You know, that's when I think it's all started to come together, um, for her. And so she did not meet him at the graveyard, of course, uh, which I'm grateful for because I think that would have been terrible for her. Um, but then he starts kind of weaseling his way back in. And the whole time there's an investigation happening and the police are asking all of us questions, you know, and, um, the police, before they pulled me in, he again reminded me of what happens to kids who lie before I went into the police interview room. Um, and you know, he's, he was saying something like, Oh, you know, you hit him. You know, you did, you know, it was you. Um, and then I don't know. He does a, a polygraph exam and my mom's trying to, you know, see if maybe the, it was an accident, then maybe they could still be together. I don't know what was going on in her head, but, um, you know, he was very charming. So I think it's important for people to know that about like domestic violence 
perpetrators and intimate partner violent perpetrators, you know, they, when it's good in those relationships, it's really, really good. And when it's bad, it's really bad. It's not always terrible. And so that can mess with your brain a little bit. And um, he goes for this polygraph and we're with him. He goes in there for about an hour and he comes out. He's like super happy in a good mood. My mom says, how did it go? And he said, fine, I passed. And we believed him because this was the 80s. And surely if he would have failed, he would have been arrested. That's what I thought in my mind anyway. And that's probably what my mom thought. Um, but he had failed. He didn't fail that polygraph. Oh, wow. I'm given the time frame, right? I'm, I'm in the same boat that you are with that. I would have thought, and look at this. We're so lucky Bob Mata is in this room with us right yeah. now. So he can, hey, Bob. Yeah. I'm sure he yeah. loves a polygraph. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just, and if you guys don't know, Bob hosts Defense Diaries, incredible gentleman, wonderful person, um, and fervent believer in the Constitution. <laughs> I just talked about that. Um, I'm really shocked by that, but I'm, I, I know you're going to get into it, so I'm going to let you go on. But I think we all kind of share that same kind of sentiment behind the idea. You know, I, I think if you've, if you've never been in, in the surrounding area of somebody who has engaged in domestic violence or intimate partner violence, you really don't get a grasp of what Eric is talking about when those highs and lows come in and how versatile their personalities are and how charming they can be. Because let me tell you what, I have proof of this because I have literally 20, no, just kidding. I have 15 other siblings outside of my two whole brothers that are DN, like same mom, same dad siblings. Um, and my biological father was an intensely violent man. So the fact that there were other women who were in, I have a sister who has special needs because of the um, abuse that he perpetrated on her mother because of that while she mm -hmm. was in the womb. So it is, it is, a, it's not astounding to me to, to see things like that happening. And if you, if you really never have been exposed to that, like consider yourself very lucky, but it truly is a mind game and you really are a vulnerable person. Um, so I don't, you know, I get really, I get really uh, protective about the idea that women should just be strong and leave or women should know better. And, you know, hindsight, yes, 2020, right. Um, but when you're in this vulnerable state, it's really, really difficult because again, like Eric said, those highs are extremely high and they're so good. And you're just like, man, if we can just keep this going, this is so worth it because he's so great when he's like this um, or she's so great when she's like that. Um, so yeah, please continue. Sorry. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens AG1 because I wanted to improve my gut health and also increase my energy. Now, I absolutely love it because I hate taking a dozen pills and vitamins and supplements. So now I've been on AG1 for about a month and a half now, and I love it. Honestly, it doesn't taste like anything super healthy. It feels like I'm drinking a vanilla shake every morning, which is really great. So you're probably wondering, okay, what is this stuff? 
Now, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. Now, these help you start your day off right, and this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, literally all of the things. AG1 is lifestyle-friendly, so whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, you can have this because it doesn't have any of the ingredients that go against any particular diet. And here's the thing. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin, and it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. So AG1 is a small microhabit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. So right now, at this very second, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. It's literally so easy. Now to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash TCFC. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash TCFC to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Uh, no, I really appreciate the that validation because it's, you know, a lot of people that have not experienced this can judge from the outside and I don't blame them. You know, a lot of people, there are people who have never experienced this and good for them, but it's really easy to blame when you have the 30,000 foot view, when you can see it from the outside and when you're in the midst of all this chaos, it's really hard to see what's actually happening. And so they end up reconciling. My mom is now convinced that he is innocent, that it was an accident, uh, you know, and rightfully so because nobody ever came to take him away. Nobody ever arrested the guy. So we thought, okay. And then he had this weird story about how he somehow committed insurance fraud by claiming that my mom was his wife at the time when he signed up for benefits with the city or the county and they had to get married. That was what he said. And so they got married and everything got much worse. He now starts to really show this violent side that we didn't know existed. And when the police asked my mom, if she thought he was capable of hurting Jacob on purpose, she said, I don't think so. And that would later be used against her, but we can get to that in a minute. Um, so my, my mom is married to him. Every day is a nightmare. You never know what's going to set him off. Um, there were times where he would just beat the living daylights out of my mom in front of me. He locked me in my bedroom for uh, hours and hours at a time, wouldn't let me leave to use the restroom. He locked me in a dryer before. Um, he sexually abused me. And he told me that if I ever said anything about what happened, that he would kill my mom and me, and nobody would ever find us. So I kept it to myself. I didn't want my mom to die. 
I love you so much. Okay? So if you need a second, I'm here to give you that. Um, that's a really heavy thing to share with everybody. It's hard to be that vulnerable. Um, and I just want to commend you for being open about that portion because it is, um, I think part of the reason why I relate to you so much is because much of our life um, outside of what happened to Jacob, we share a lot of parallels. So I was also um, abused by a stepfather in the same fashion, given the same threats. And so I know how daunting and how terrifying that can be because when you grow up in an abusive household, the child essentially become, at least in my situation, the child essentially becomes the parent. And so you kind of do these reverse roles where you are so focused on the well-being of your parent that you stifle everything for yourself, right? Which then, of course, mm -hmm. leads to our trauma um, as we grow older and kind of how we handle our own relationships in the future. Um, but you worry so much about that. so you know, little me just wants to tell you like, oh my gosh, you know, like, no, 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 you're fine. You just say something. Um, and I'm sure little you would have told me the same thing too. But again, you know, that's a, that's a benefit that we have in hindsight. And again, if you never experienced that, like, that's amazing and wonderful. I don't ever want anybody to go through that, you know, intentionally just to get the experience of it. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to give you the kudos on that because it's not an easy thing to share, you know, Thank and you. especially when you carry that guilt um, that you shouldn't carry, but we do. It's just kind of what happens. So I love you and thank you for sharing that and then continue if you're ready. Yeah. I love you too. Thank you for, for that. And thank you for that moment. Cause uh, <laughs> I get kind of emotional uh, telling the, the story, you know? So um, there was an incident where my mom was being beaten really bad. And she was screaming louder than I ever heard her scream. And then she stopped. And I knew something was wrong. So I, you know, I was locked in my room at the time. I threw a chair through my window. I snuck out of my room and I got the biggest rock I could find and I threw it through their bedroom window. And what was happening at the time was he had wrapped a wire hanger around my mom's throat um, because she told him she was leaving. And she had lost consciousness. And so when I threw the rock through their window, she had enough time to get to her senses and she was able to run away while he was running after me um, and chasing me. And so um, in that moment, you know, my mom almost died and um, I helped, helped, I guess, save her life. Yes, um, you did. That's not a guess. You did. Thank you. So, um, I, you know, I used to sleep with a, a kitchen knife, um, a can of hairspray, a lighter and a baseball bat under my pillow, just in case I needed them. Um, that's just how my mind worked. And so, you know, we go through several years of just hell with this person. Um, he starts trying to groom my 14-year-old cousin for sexual abuse. Um, he is calling her and telling her that he wants to be with her, um, that she's beautiful, that nobody would understand, 
and that she can't tell anybody about it. And he wanted her to come to the house so that he could abuse her sexually. And she was the wrong person. She was the wrong victim. He picked the wrong person. She told everybody. And that my mom, knowing that he was trying to abuse her, that was the kick that she needed to get out. Um, she didn't know anything about what happened to me. And luckily my cousin stepped in and said something uh, because I believe that she saved both of our lives in that moment and protected herself from being abused, which makes her the baddest badass ever. I agree wholeheartedly. I want to meet her and that's amazing. Um, I, it, I just, I would like to handle this person myself. It just angers me a lot um, seeing people do that. But I'm so glad your cousin did that because it, I mean, it takes a lot to get through something like that. You know what I mean? When you're approached in that manner um, and kudos to her for, for being like, yeah, fuck this. Like I'm going to tell everybody on the planet. So what happened after that? Um, so my mom left him and I, now that we were away, I felt strong enough to tell my mom about what happened to me. So I did. And my mom took me and my cousin to the police station to file a police report about the sexual abuse and the grooming. And um, it seemed like they were taking it seriously for a minute. And then nothing happened. Um, my mom, as she's going through divorce with this person and he's stalking us, he's following us all around town. You know, he goes up to my bedroom at night knocks on the window and says, I'm going to fucking kill you and your bitch mom every night. Um, my mom got an order of protection against him. He violated that multiple times, never got arrested for it. He was never arrested for domestic violence, for beating the shit out of my mom. Like none of that ever happened. It's important that everybody knows that he worked for the county and he played basketball with the entire police force every week. He was friends with them. So there wasn't a lot of motivation to do anything. Also, it was the 80s. People didn't really take domestic violence seriously back then. Um, my mom approaches the DA, asks him to file charges in Jacob's death against her ex-husband at the time. And he said no, because you gave him an alibi. And when... We find out later what the alibi was. It was my mom saying she didn't think that her boyfriend was capable of this. Which is not an alibi. Correct. That is, Bob will tell you as a defense attorney, that is not how an alibi is established. Um, I'm not surprised given his connection to the city, of course, um, you know, that he would have this kind of backing, if you will. I think we've seen that in numerous cases where um, somebody has similar relationships and, of course, they're slow to act or not act at all because um, they probably have the same mindset that your family had, which is not this guy. Like, oh, they're all just bitter. Oh, they're making it up or, you know, they know him. So it's easier to hear his side of things versus what's actually true, which is what happened to you, what happened to Jacob, what happened to your mom. Um, what could have happened to your cousin and things like that. And so um, I think it's as in the words of my husband, Brett Hobbs, it's some baby back bullshit. 
and um, <laughs> not surprised. Oh, and welcome to our dear friend, Sarah Turney. Thank you for joining Hi, us Sarah. here as well. Um, like Bob said, sounds like some thin blue line bullshit. Exactly. Continue, my friend. Yeah, so we kind of keep hoping that we're going to be able to convince the DA to press charges against this person. And with every new DA, we're told no. And then eventually we're told no, because there's a statute of limitations. And there used to be in New Mexico, a statute of limitations on second degree murder. Um, But that was overturned in the early mid 2000s and has been set with precedence with the New Mexico Supreme Court to make it retroactive. So there was a case that they went back and tried uh, after the statute of limitations had passed. And so um, I kind of was inspired having learned all of this and I requested Jacob's case file and I learned a lot of things when I received that. Um, and that's when I decided I was going to start to cover the case. I learned that my mom's uh, ex-husband, ex-boyfriend confessed to killing Jacob. Um, there is no record of what the confession was or what circumstances the confession was given. There's no notes. There's no recording. There's literally, sorry, my dog is freaking out. <laughs> there's literally nothing. Um, there's literally nothing. So all, all it says Please. is, yeah, go ahead. Okay, go on. Sorry, you're going to answer the question, I feel. <laughs> yeah, so what it says in the, in the note, it says, um, the suspect no longer needs a polygraph exam because he confessed. And that's all it says. And they literally did nothing. Mm-hmm. They weren't like, okay, cool. Oh my gosh, I bet you Bob's like, what the fuck? <laughs> that is insane. Oh my gosh. Okay, go on. This is ridiculous. So, it so, makes me mad yeah. all over again. Sorry. So my mom got in touch with the state police and asked them uh, for their cold case unit to look at the case in um, early 2000s. And it was pretty clear that the investigator that relooked at everything, he said that there was sufficient evidence at the time to try the case and that they should have done it and doesn't make sense why they didn't. But now a lot of the evidence is gone. It's missing. Nobody knows where it is. Um, the DA's office had burned down at some point. And I'm not saying that it's like suspicious, but this person was a janitor for the county near the keys to every building in the county. So, so. Wow. I mean, in this world that we deal in, you know, especially in true crime, nothing is off the table. Everything makes sense. Um, and it just kind of lines up. But <sighs> Sarah said, but it is. So, yeah, we can say that. Um, hash, um, we have Bob. He's our attorney, so he gave us permission. <laughs> That's what I would say. Like, just call Bob. He's my attorney. It's fine. <laughs> my attorney said it's okay. I said that. Um, wow. That I mean, to me, that all lines up. Um, if I was a betting person, I'd be like, yeah. Um, was there any type of arson investigation that was done with that fire, or was it just treated as an accident? I'm not sure. 
I don't know for sure. Um, yeah. But, you know, essentially what happened is now, like I said, that law has been overturned. Um, so the statute of limitations is no longer a thing. And I started a campaign, I think it was last year, to try to get the district attorney to do the right thing and investigate this case. And so I did 10 days of Jacob leading up to the anniversary of his death, which was April 10th, 1987, and had people calling from all around the world. And it was supposed to be 10 days and he lasted two days. And he called the attorney general, he emailed the attorney general and said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I'm going to turn this case over to you, which was the best thing that could have happened to Jacob's case. And so, like you said, I had stopped talking about it for a while because I was trying to give the investigators at the attorney general's office the opportunity and the space to conduct their investigation. But it really isn't going as fast as I want it to. So I'm going to start talking about it again because the pressure of talking about it does help make things move faster. Very true. Um, I know that that's really difficult or that time frame of trying to bring Jacob's case to the forefront was really difficult. And I think one of the greatest things, and we're so lucky to have Sarah in here too, who's just kind of a shining example of advocacy um, and kind of, you know, putting people's feet to the fire and being like, hey, listen, you need to do your job and I'm going to make sure everyone around the world knows you're not doing it. Um, I, I think you're doing the right thing by bringing it back up, bringing it back to the surface and kind of, you know, pushing for that advocacy because it really does make a difference, you know? And of course, if, if it moves into a trial phase, you know, things will likely change in terms of you not needing, not being able to say anything much like with Sarah's situation, you know, kind of dealing with the same thing, but that's all in the idea that justice will hopefully be served at the end for both of you. Um, for Jacob and for Alyssa. So I commend you. I was, that's why I was like, listen, the second you told me you were, you were back on, you know, talking about Jacob, I wanted to offer you whatever platform I have. Literally it's yours. If you want to take over my podcast, do it. Um, it is because it is so important. And I see, I see the difference it's made. And honestly, like Sarah knows, cause I've cried in front of her already telling her how much I love her too. Um, I see what a difference it makes. And I, if it were me as the victim, I would want either one of you pushing for me because you are relentless and you fight this fight no matter what, when other people would just be like, okay, I guess I'm done. I, you know, I've done all I can do. Um, just like Bob said, without advocacy, the state's not going to do anything. So I'm glad that you're kind of holding their feet to the fire. And of course, you know, this community is just going to rally for you and for Jacob to do whatever we need to do to get these people moving. And you recently also had a discussion with a candidate, right? For new um, governor. Uh, Attorney general. Attorney general. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was on Sunday. I released that. Um, I actually interviewed his opponent today. So that'll be out next Sunday. Um, and that, that was kind of my little secret, not so secret method of getting to know the candidates so that, as soon as they take over in January, they know who I am. And when I'm calling them, they're going to remember me. Um, and it was all for Jacob's case. You know, yeah, I wanted my listeners that are in New Mexico to be educated about the candidates, but it was pretty selfish on my part. I'll admit that. <laughs> and who cares? I mean, like, really, it's 
it doesn't matter. Like you're doing it because you need to do it and it's the right thing to do. And honestly, they're in a role where they're kind of, at least in my brain, they're supposed to be like advocates for justice and everything. But as, as we know, with like this type of stuff, um, politics plays a big role in it when um, it really shouldn't. But hopefully, you know, we're on the right path. And again, just like everybody is saying is like, listen, you do what you got to do. You don't apologize for fighting for your brother, period. And don't apologize. Like, yeah, it was selfish. Like, who gives a shit? Like, you're doing the right thing. So it's not like you're doing it to, like, fill your pockets or anything like that. You're doing it to get justice. And that's what he deserves. Is that an option? What, filling your pockets? <laughs> yeah. I mean, with candy, sure. I'm just <laughs> I, love I was like, uh, no, sir. We, no, we've had a no, long no. discussion about this. <laughs> <laughs> we've shaded people for uh, this, Eric. <laughs> yes, continue. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just very thankful that you've given me the opportunity to jump on here with you and talk about Jacob. Um, it's never easy for me to do, but I know it's super important. And I hope that if nothing else, if it helps one person, stay away from a situation like this or learn what to look for, then it's worth me talking about it. You know, I'm not naive. I know that the chance of me getting justice for Jacob is pretty slim, um, but I'm not going to give up. So, so. And it doesn't matter if it's slim or not. I mean, like Sarah's like blasting you up in here. She's just like gassing you up in, in the chat, which I love. Um, you guys are truly amazing. So, Thank you so much, obviously, for sharing your story and Jacob's story. Um, I think that it's really helpful for people to get the full picture of everything so that it's um, it's there's a difference between me sharing the story and then you sharing the story. I think it's more impactful and causes people to really kind of lean in and really lend that ear that they need to be like, you know what? I really do want to follow Eric in this journey. Um, and you can do that if you click on Eric's profile picture, you can follow him on his Twitter, which then leads to all of his other social media accounts. Um, so feel free to do that. Again, if you guys have any questions, feel free to tap on the speaker request. Um, if you just want to say something to Eric, feel free to do that as well. Um, you know, like Eric said, it's kind of in a slow moving process phase. I think we talked about this a little bit when we were in Las Vegas too. Um, it's frustrating, but um, I think you're doing the right thing. And when the time comes, you know, that it, this is headed to trial or we get, a, you know, some type of plea, would you guys be okay with that? Because I know that sometimes the DAs will ask the family first, like, we, we, we have more, uh, more of a chance to get a conviction if they take a plea and we offer X time. Like, are you just looking for a conviction? Do you want time served like what do we what looks like what's justice look like for jacob um yeah i'm really what i want more than anything is our day in court for jacob he deserves that it's the least the state can do in this situation and so i think if we get our day in court no matter what the outcome is that was you know worth it um, it's worth it for people to know who this person is and what he's capable of. I talked about him not having a record. That's up until today. All the reports that we gave, um, the order of protection, everything, none of that exists anywhere. 
There's no record. There's no documentation. And so, you know, eventually I'm probably going to want to go after some other people who were negligent, in my opinion, in dealing with everything. Read my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. I, I, that was kind of going to be my second question was that once there is justice for Jacob, which I believe will happen one way or another, it's just going to be what it is, right? Um, I do, I mean, like, 100% fully support the idea of going after whoever protected him from a legal standpoint, if you will, um, of not acting on active information, on information that potentially put lives at risk. And I mean, still to this day, like it, it worries me to have somebody who is that much of a predator out on the streets. Yeah. I don't care how old they are or anything like that. I, I don't have compassion for that as you old, you know, get older, because I feel like if anything, you've just been able to kind of curate how you approach these things to stay under the radar because you know, you've been looked at already. Yeah. Very much agree. So yes, definitely. Um, on board with all of that. So you guys, Absolutely welcome to hop on if you have any questions, Bob. Feel free if you want to come on, Sarah. Feel free if you want to come on too. Just talk and chat. Um, I think this is also really important to note that we, oh, Eric has also just want to mention this because he's done a great deal for me. Um, here, as you guys know, I'm the co-founder of the True Crime Podcast Festival. Eric is actually on the planning committee and it was really important for me to have him be a part of it. Um, not only because I love him dearly. But because he has the right mentality in place when it comes to how we consume true crime, right? Because we all know that there are um, creators out there in all, you know, forms and fashion and media who prey on victims and their stories and then cash in on them. Um, we also want to make sure that, yes, we understand the curiosity behind these stories, but there are real people behind them. Um, and we don't own the rights to those stories. I think that's one of the best things that even myself as a content creator, I remind myself of. So if somebody were to contact me and be like, Hey, I, you know, this, this is kind of traumatizing to hear this. Can you take it off your feed? A hundred percent. It's done. I'm not going to argue with anybody <laughs> about my, my need to have an episode on my feed. Like I'm not going to die because this episode isn't on my feed. And ad obligations, things like that. If people give that as an excuse of being like, oh, but I have ads on there. I have to do this. Okay, find something else to do or do a make good. Like, it's really not that big of a deal. You will get paid for it. I tr trust me, you will get paid for it. Um, so, you know, I, I smell bullshit a mile away. I think we all kind of do um, when we hear things like that. And, you know, the wonderful thing is you and Sarah are really shaking up the true crime world. Some people don't like it, um, sure. but I am a fan of it. <laughs> I am a big fan, um, but that's also because I'm a messy bitch, <laughs> and I like to see I like to see a little bit of drama as long as it doesn't involve me, um, yeah. and as long yeah. as it's healthy and you know not like crazy. But I'm just like, oh, okay, good for you putting that person in their place. Um, I love to see it live and in living color. Um, and we recently we were talking last week about this and I, I'm sure you have thoughts 
Um, we were talking last week about kind of the ethics in true crime, and especially with the leaking of information. We recently saw that with the Murder Sheet podcast who leaked um, the Delphi information, uh, pretty gruesome details that really didn't have any benefit whatsoever in terms of being released. It was obviously for um, downloads, I'm assuming, in some way. Um, yeah, I, I don't really, I mean, to me, there's no justification for it, but it's those kinds of things that you guys have to contend with, right? With, with having to deal with people not understanding you're a person behind this case. What's the challenge that you see, you know, day to day, not only as a survivor and victim of, you know, crime, but also kind of being looked at like you're in a zoo. Yeah. It's tough. You know, people have said the worst imaginable things to me that I just would never say to anybody ever. Um, and, and I know it happens to other people. It happens to Sarah. It happens to so many of us. And it, it's important. True crime. It's important that true crime exists because Without this platform, it's really difficult to advocate for your family members. And so it's a necessary evil, in my opinion. But I think what's missing is the humanity of our real people's lives. This is the worst possible moment in somebody's life. And that needs to be treated with respect. That needs to not be taken lightly. And, you know... I think that people should listen to family members and respect family members' wishes. We're the ones that are carrying this load. We're the ones that are trying to fight for our loved ones. And we love all the help. We appreciate the support. It's really hard because we are people. We're still trying to live our lives in spite of all of this. So um, I think if we can just humanize true crimes, that would fix a lot of the problem. I agree. Um, also, I want to point out too, if you guys are interested, I know we have fans of Sarah in here as well, which smart choice. Um, she was recently on the Fall Line podcast, another one of my great friends who produces that show and hosts the show, Laura, um, interviewed Sarah recently in a two part series, um, covering kind of the same thing, ethics and true crime, um, and kind of the, <laughs> the shake up that she's doing. She's shaking that coconut tree and coconuts are falling. Um, and I love to see it. Now, friends, we are at the end of our time. Um, so, Eric, I want to thank you again for joining us and sharing the story. I know that it's not easy. And again, I love you so much and I appreciate this. And uh, anytime you ever want to use my platform for whatever you need, you know, you got it. Um, I also appreciate everybody offering uh, their their feedback and questions in the chat and engaging with us tonight. It's always wonderful. To see, again, if you're interested in uh, following Eric and his journey to justice for Jacob, you're welcome to click on his profile picture, follow him on Twitter, um, or you can listen to his podcast from the beginning. Guarantee you will pretty much love every episode. Um, he just recently did a huge series on the Dylan Redwine case. So I, you know, we've talked about that in previous green rooms. So he was also here to talk about it. Um, previously so please be sure to check them out podcast is true consequences um and since my friend bob mata is in here i also plug defense diaries because um one of my goals even though he's long-winded at times but i love it um is to have bob on to talk about 
kind of the Constitution in that question I posed on Twitter that had people all up on people's rights <laughs> and things like that. Those silly things we believe in. Um, so, yeah, so I appreciate everybody for joining us. Eric, thank you again. If you want to um, shout out anything that you're working on, if you have a live event coming up, feel free to shout it out. Write me out. Yeah, I've got a live show, a virtual live show. It's uh, $10 tickets with myself and my friend Jackie from Cause of Death. And we're talking about the epidemiology of crime. And if you want to learn more about me, you can go to trueconsequences.com. Lainey, thank you so much for allowing me this opportunity. I love you. You're the best. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget to meet me here again, Tuesday, 6 p.m. Central for Spotify Live's True Crime Convos. Have a safe night. Thank you, everyone. Bye, friends. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review and rating on Apple Podcast or your podcast player of choice. It really does help. You can find us on most social media platforms, Twitter at TCFCPod, Facebook.com slash TCFCPodcast, Instagram at True Crime Fan Club Pod, and of course, our website is TrueCrimeFanClub.com. If you have an episode request, send us an email, TCFCPod at gmail.com.